Hi, this is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy. www.cheapastro.com And this is Wordy Ewing. Some listeners might recall I interviewed Dwayne Harmaker back in January 2010, and we caught up again recently to do another 365 Days podcast that you'll hear next week. But as well as that, we also finished off another conversation we'd started back in January. So this podcast is a two-stage discussion, starting with some unaired material from January and finishing with a more recent update with slightly better sound. Here goes. Look, I'm familiar with the story from New South Wales of the emu in the sky, which is probably one of the better-known Indigenous Australian astronomy stories. And there in Karingai Chase National Park is a rock carving of an emu strangely sort of laid out horizontally. And I understand there's a certain time of the year when the Milky Way lines up with that same pattern in the sky. And that is the season at which the, the emus are laying their eggs. Is that the story you've heard? Sure, yes, late, late May and early June. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite indigenous Australian astronomy story? Oh, <laughs> I've, I've run into so many in particular across the, the continent. The last year I've been mostly working in the, the comets and meteors and you know the, the, the cosmic impacts. And I think what I've found, not even so much about patterns in the sky, but uh, the stories about, about objects falling out of the sky and striking the ground, and they usually incorporated as some sort of moral charter as a, as a warning to follow laws and traditions, and if you don't, these rocks are going to fall out of the sky. But when you look up at the sky, there's so many different stories for different patterns. If you look at Australia, there's, there's not a single Aboriginal culture, so of course it doesn't make any sense to ask what the Aboriginal work of the sun is, the Aboriginal story of the moon. There are hundreds to choose from. There's somewhere between four and 700 distinct languages and dialects. So it's absolutely enormous amount of diversity in this country as far as these stories go. There's also an enormous amount of diversity in how the sky is viewed, where some Aboriginal groups have sort of a connect-the-dots approach that uh, the Westerners did, that the Europeans did, how we normally think of constellations. Uh, some, to some Aboriginal communities, each individual star represented a different figure or a different person, or an animal, or a different character in a particular story. So there wasn't a connected dot sort of idea. And other groups, like with the uh, Gurungai people and the Emu in the Sky, they looked at stars, and they also looked at the dark dust lanes in the Milky Way, and the dark patches, like the, the coal sack is the head of the Emu, mm. the dust lanes that go along the, the edge of the, uh, the galactic bulge in the Milky Way represent the outline of the Emu itself. So there's lots and lots of different views. And even the Emu in the Sky, even though it's found all across Australia, and each different Aboriginal community is seen in a slightly different way. Okay. When do you plan to finish your PhD? Oh, I'm, I'm shooting for August 2011, so August of next year. But, okay. Um, and there's just quite a bit of work that has to be done. Uh, the next major thing we're going to look at are stone arrangements. Um, have you heard of Wordy Ewing? No. What, why don't you tell me about that? Wordy Ewing is a, an egg-shaped stone arrangement in Victoria. That's uh, between Geelong and Melbourne. And it's about 50 meters in diameter from the longer axis. It's sort of egg-shaped, and the, the rounded top part comprising of standing stones. So it's composed of this, this whole ring of standing stones. But at the, the apex of the, the arrangement, you see three large, distinct standing stones that mimic three hills in the background. I mean, you stand at the, uh, the point, the other apex of the circle, 
the sun directly sets over the top of those three stones during the equinox, and on either side, the other two rows line up to the summer and the winter solstice. So it's sort of an example of what some call an Aboriginal Stonehenge, although we have no idea how old it is. Mm. The type of stone arrangement that seems to have um, alignments to the sun setting at uh, the equinoxes and the solstices. So there's other stone arrangements across Australia, especially the southeast end of Australia, New South Wales and Victoria, that also appear to have this shape. So what I'm going to do is, is survey these sites and see if they do have astronomical alignments. And now here's the update with slightly better sound. Last time we spoke, you described what, what I think is called the Aboriginal Stonehenge somewhere in Victoria. Right. Have you perhaps investigated that one further or found other similar objects? We haven't gone back to that site yet. That, that site is called Wordy Ewing. Um, and that's about halfway between Melbourne and Geelong, a bit closer to Geelong. There are some stone arrangements. There's about 650 in New South Wales that are on the register. And I recently was able to get the information for all 650 of those. Now, I've gone through, and a lot of them have been destroyed or they've been scattered, or in some cases, nothing more than a dot on a map. But what I'm doing is going through a big chunk of these stone arrangements. And there are several circles and lines, and in some cases, there's whole arrays of standing stones. There's one under the Serpentine River east of Armadale in New South Wales. So for the remainder of my PhD for the next year, I'm going to be going and visiting all these sites and checking their alignments. There seems to be a preferred alignment to cardinal directions, you know, north, south, east, and west. But without a compass, that's not easy to figure out. We don't have a pole star here, so using the stars is a bit more difficult to find, you know, north, south, east, and west within a, you know, a degree or two. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these stone arrangements seem to show those alignments fairly accurately. So we're going to have a look at that and see if any of them have any astronomical significance, sort of like where Ewing did by aligning to the solstices or the equinox. Mm-hmm. But it's in progress, you know, just starting a, a few sites now. But there's, there's quite a few sites around the Sydney region. You mentioned a register. Uh, it's just the um, Aboriginal site register. They record stone arrangements, all that stuff on record and you go to them to get that. So sometimes it's easy to get, sometimes it's not. There were several sites that I wasn't able to get information to because they're restricted. Those are usually secret, sacred sites. Mm -hmm. Who is in charge of the register? Oh, it's a government organization. I'm not sure how it works in different states, but New South Wales, it's actually a place down in near Merrickville, I believe. In places like WA, you can actually access all the information online, but they're a bit tricky in WA, they don't give you the exact coordinates of the stone arrangement site. They have an algorithm that sort of scatters it. So it's somewhere within a 100-meter radius. They don't tell you exactly where it is. Because unfortunately, a lot of people who want to go out and check these things out end up damaging them and destroying them, and sometimes they don't even know it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's something that, um, I mean, when I publish this information, I'm going to have to give this site register number, not the actual latitude and longitude coordinates because you're trying to keep people from just going out and stomping around and knocking things over. Yeah, that's, sure. that's been a big issue in the past with a lot of um, Aboriginal sites. Even the rock engravings, people try to regroove them or take chalk and trace the outlines, and that, that damages the rock. It erodes it even faster, so mm. it becomes a, a serious problem. Sure. No, that, that, that's a good thing. So I, I've never visited one of these stone arrangements. I'm curious about the construction of them. Uh, are they a bit like standing stones? Are they dug into the ground, or, or are they just placed on the surface? Well, it certainly varies, and there's a, 
there's quite a wide range of uses for stone arrangements. Some of them were used as fireplaces. Some were used to catch fish or find those near rivers. Some were used for ceremonial purposes. Some make pathways. You have rows. You have circles. You have sort of horseshoe-shaped semicircles. But a lot of them don't exactly know what they were used for. Some were bora sites, which were used for initiations. And in many cases, in, in Southeast Australia, you'll have two bora rings, as they call them. Usually one is bigger than the other, and there'll be a pathway connecting the two. And as the, the boy goes from one to the other, that's sort of uh, symbolically him going from boyhood to manhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can range in size. I mean, one that I, I looked at up in Dungawan near Tamworth, is not very big at all. It was probably only maybe a couple, well, maybe about four meters across, and they were just small stones you could pick up with your hand. So unless you were looking for it, you wouldn't have seen it. But once you saw it, you know, it was perfectly obvious it was a circular stone arrangement. So a lot of the stone arrangements tend to be smaller stones. They tend to be cans, these piles of stones or stone heaps. And some of the bigger stones in some of the places like Word Ewing, they are set upright, dug in a bit with some, some smaller support stones on them. But the, the big stone arrangements, like the ones you find in Victoria, the Rorty Ewing site, uh, those are considerably rare. At least they are not reported in the um, site register. Now, there are lots of stone arrangements that are out there for certain that aren't in the register. I found, you know, I've seen a couple of them that aren't in the register at all. But of all the ones in the register, not very many of them are the big standing stone arrangements like the one you see at Rorty Ewing. There is one up near the Serpentine River, like I mentioned before, near Armadale. So that's something I definitely want to go check out, because that one seems really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, for example, Word of Ewan, how, yeah. how, how big is that? In, in, it's in about 50 out. meters across the longer axis. Really? Yep, and the stones are about, about waist high. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're not tiny stones. Those aren't ones you can just move around. Those were quite large stones, each one weighing a lot. So those, those aren't ones you could just go out and move around. There's some smaller stones in the area as well, but the big ones that make out the big outline, the, the egg shape of Warty Ewing, are definitely large standing stones that would have taken a considerable amount of effort to move. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're all gathered nearby, or have they been transported a long distance to that site? I think they're probably local rocks. I mean, I'm, I'm not certain. I haven't looked at the geology of the rocks or the mineralogy of the rocks themselves. You know, in reference to Stonehenge, where the stones were brought over from Wales, I don't see any evidence of that down there. That, that area is covered in stones anyway. There's, there's not a shortage of those. It's actually a bit disappointing if you're driving down. They're farmland areas. You'll see these huge rows of stones where the farmers have taken all the stones in the field and piled them up along the fence rows. And it makes you wonder how many more of those sites are sitting out there or were sitting out there that were destroyed either inadvertently or intentionally and made into fence rows. It really makes you wonder. There are some other stone arrangement sites out there that are quite large that also indicate cardinal directions. And there are some other sites that are alleged to be on, on private land, but the owners, they don't want anybody going out there and checking it out because I think for them they're afraid that somebody's going to come out and make a claim and take their land away from them. So it's, it's a bit of a dodgy issue there because, of course, you want to preserve the site, but you don't want anybody to have to lose their land. Word of Ewing is is interesting because even though it's right in the middle of a farmland area, I'm I'm guessing that the the Victorian government has some sort of agreement with the owners. They they farm all the way around the arrangement, but the site where the arrangement is itself isn't touched. But you can see the farmland coming up fairly close to it, so they've preserved that one spot without damaging it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's good. Yeah, that is good.
So with a lot of these sites, uh, are there still local Indigenous people who know they're there, or these days are we stumbling across them? It really depends. Unfortunately, a lot of them that I've looked at in the registry run eastern New South Wales, a lot of them are just they're stuck back on land that nobody really knows about anymore. There's, there's very little in the literature from what we know. You know, they, they certainly had Aboriginal significance. They're definitely Aboriginal sun arrangements, but we don't know if the land council or any elders still use them. So some of the side cards are written back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, and they'll say that their father told them that there were Aboriginal ceremonies conducted at this site back in the late 1800s or the early 1900s, but that's it. There's nothing else written about it. So, frankly, I don't know, but I know there are several sites that probably don't have any indigenous people that, that still identify with those particular sites and still use them, I should say. So I don't know. that The whole stone arrangement project is something that um, I'm just not getting my teeth sunk into. Very interesting. Uh, I've never really been conscious of all this. And you're, you're still on track to finish in August 2011. Yep, sure am. Excellent. Hoping it goes through. I hope so too, Dwight. Good to talk to you again. All right, cheers. All right, take care. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy www.cheapastro.com Cheap Astronomy offers an educational website where the real outback is outback of Neptune. No ads, no profit, just good science. Bye!